Well, turn, we're going to look at some various passages today. And as Jason, I appreciate your vulner, vulnerability, Jason, and, and sharing and agreeing to, to kind of whet our appetite with regard to uh, some, some truths, some words that we're going to look at uh, this Christmas season. And, and we're entering a wonderful season. I, I think for many of us, this would definitely be our favorite time of the year. Uh, excitement reigns, hope, love, joy, everything. It's just different this time of year. But, but my hope for us would be that this would not be a one-month adventure. This, this, wasn't, this wouldn't be something that, that impacts us for one month and then, and then we move on. I, I want this month particularly and especially to, to be about one thing, and that is adoring Jesus Christ. I want us to adore Jesus Christ, but, but I don't want to just adore Him this month. I want us to live lives that adore Him all year round. And that's really my focus with, with teaching on these, these, these words, hope and joy and love and peace, that, that we would experience that all year round. That they, it wouldn't be something that for a month we look at it and then we move on to, to other things. Jesus is the central figure. He's central. We're going to have um, this candle each week. We're going to add one to it. But each week, that candle will be burning and remind us of hope. It will remind us that, that Jesus Christ is the central figure of that hope. And that's what I want to talk about today. I, I want us to adore not only His first coming in the form of a baby and a manger, but I want us to live lives where we will adore His return when He returns as King, that we will not be, as 1 John 2, 28 says, that we will not live lives where we shrink away at His return, where, where we are ashamed at His return. I, I want us to li live lives where we hope for His return, that, that we can't wait for His return. See, Jesus coming in, in the form of a baby and, and being born in the manger, that's just part of the story. That's part of the story, and, and for so many of us, it stops there. You see, that little baby that was born in that manger, he grew up, and he died on the cross. He died of death that every single one of us deserved to die, because he was there because of your sin and my sin. He came and was born in that manger with one purpose in mind. He knew he was headed to a cross at Calvary. He came with one purpose, to die. To die. He, God's creation, as we saw in the video, was created. It was good. It was perfect. And it chose to sin over to adore the Savior. To adore their Creator. They chose the created over the Creator. They, they chose to pursue their joy in other things, other places. And, and that's where we find ourselves today. And in love, God sent His Son to grow up and to die on a cross because God said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. He said all the way back in Genesis, if you eat from that fruit, you will die. And they ate. And that set in motion God's plan that He would send His Son to redeem humanity from their sin from the penalty of their sin, and He would reconcile His creation, marred in sin, He would reconcile them to Himself. 
That's the story of the whole Bible. This whole Bible is the play out of God reconciling the world to himself and his enemy, our enemy, Satan, trying to defeat that plan. And yet there's hope. Because our salvation will not be fully realized on this side of eternity. We will not be fully realized. Contrary to a lot of stuff that's said out there, contrary to a lot of books that people are reading out there, contrary to what the world puts forth, this world does not hold out the fulfillment of all the promises that we as believers will receive. That's why heaven is so wonderful. And the Bible says, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy. I want us to see that this Christmas, that he's worthy. Jesus is worthy. I want our celebration this season, but not only this season, every season, to be centered around the person of Jesus Christ because he alone is worthy. I, I want him to, to return and find a people that are joyfully, eagerly waiting, anticipating his return because he's worthy. And that gives us much reason to celebrate. We have much reason to celebrate. So each week, we're going to look at a different word. Today, it's hope. And we're going to look at, that, at not only our hope now, but our ultimate hope. And, and we're going to define what is biblical hope. We're going, to, we're going to look at how do we continue hoping. But we're going to also look at our ultimate hope. Because I want us to understand what we mean when we say that word as Christians. We don't mean what the world means when we say, I hope. You know, I was thinking about it yesterday. There were a lot of Auburn fans hoping they could win that game yesterday. I guarantee you none of them envisioned winning that game the way they won that game. I mean, I hear, Matt, you spilled your whole food tray in excitement. You didn't, you didn't see it happening. Matt played tennis at Auburn for four years. He's been hoping for this moment for about 22 years. Never saw it. Guys, we will never, ever imagine what God has in store for us. It, whatever you think it is, it will be far, far superior hope. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, whatever you have gone through, there's hope. There's sure hope. And that hope carries us. It walks us through these trials. It walks us through this life knowing, knowing that we've been adopted, knowing that we're on our way to being having that adoption fulfilled, knowing that we will reign with our Heavenly Father forever. Therefore, we go through whatever we go through here with hope. Changes everything. So I want to look at some passages. We're going we're gonna to do sword drills today. We're going to be all over the page. This, it's hard for me to prepare this way. I, I, with, with my attention deficit and everything else, I like to get a passage, stick to a passage. I mean, even last night I was reviewing this, and I, my mind is I'm trying to add stuff. This sermon could have been an hour long, not the, instead of the 50 minutes that it's going to be anyway. I really do, hear me, hear me. I think about this all week. I try hard to scale back, but I mean, I don't, I'm like a kid in a candy store when it comes to studying. I mean, I, I, I send this thing out on Thursday and I review it all weekend and every time I review it, I'm adding to it and I keep telling myself, don't do that, don't do that. So let's, let's get going here so we can leave by noon and uh, we'll just, we'll go straight from here to a Sunday supper, so tonight. So what is biblical hope? What is biblical hope? You see that on your handout. First of all, we need to define what it is we're talking about. And we're going to define it. We need to define it as the Bible defines it, not as the world defines it. 
You know, I hope that God, the hope that God provides through Jesus' birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his eventual return, is different from that of the world. When the, when the world says, I hope so, they are really saying, what they are saying is, I have no way to be certain of anything, but I'm hoping anyway. The world's hope has zero certainty. They, they have no reason to think that it can be attained, that it should be attained, that it will be attained. They're just hoping. They're hoping. It, it, it's not based on anything. They say, I have zero certainty. Zero. But that's not the same as what the Bible puts forth as hope. It, absolutely contrary to what the Bible puts forth as hope. And, and so let's look at what biblical hope is not. Biblical hope is not simply a wish. It's not something, the world makes wishes. Who do they wish to? I, I, I wish upon a star. Well, what's that star got to do with anything? How's that star going to help you? I, I wish, well, who you wish, there's got to be somebody, something to respond. It's not simply wishing. Biblical hope is more than just a desire. It's not something that we get if we think hard enough on it. <coughs> or, if we, or if we want it bad enough. That's what the world thinks about it. If I just power positive thinking, I can just think again into existence. That's not biblical hope. If, if you want it bad enough, you can attain it. No, you can't. That's not true. You can do anything you set your mind to. That's not true. Sounds good. That's worldly view. It's not just a desire. Biblical hope is not merely passing. It's not que sera, sera. It's not fatalistic. It's not, you know what, whatever comes to be, I'll just take the next. That's not, that's not biblical hope. It's not fatalistic. It's not whatever may come, may come. Biblical hope is not grounded in luck. It's not based on good karma. It's not based on any of that. that. That's the way the world views hope. That's the way the world would describe hope. That's what they're talking about when they talk about hope. In all of those uncertainty reigns, the common denominator in all that is zero certainty. Zero. And that could not be more different than the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. What is, so what is biblical hope? Listen to this. Biblical hope is a reality not yet realized. It's a reality not yet realized. It is future-oriented. It is guaranteed. The Bible says it is an inheritance that doesn't fade, it doesn't perish, it doesn't go away. It's a reality not yet realized. Biblical hope involves certainty. The Bible paints clearly, and we'll look at this. God is going to bring the things to pass. It says He holds the world in the palm of His hand. He literally is carrying the world along according to His plan. Certainty. Biblical hope is a promise of God not yet brought into being. We'll see that today. It's based on promises. There's certainty there. Lastly, biblical hope is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's grounded in the person and the work. Ultimately, who, who it is, we're, we're hoping our hope is resting in a person. It's not just something that's out there mysterious. It's a person. An historical, living, breathing person. Who, by the way, lives today 
1 John 2, 1 says to make intercession for us. He's alive today. It's, that's who it's based on, a person and work of Jesus Christ. Look, look at these passages just to, to back that up. Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 20. Look, look at how the Bible describes hope. In the, same, in the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose. You see it? Interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you, you see the words there that were described to, that describe our hope? Sure, steadfast, unchangeable, promise. All of it rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ in the past and in the present and in the future. There, there's zero uncertainty described there in that passage. Zero uncertainty. It is a fact that can be relied upon. It can be rested upon. It, you can base your whole life upon it. Build your whole life upon it. Matthew talks about building your life on the rock. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And our hope... Our hope links us forever to Jesus Christ. It is, it is linked with Christ forever. It, it, it looks to His first coming in a ba as a baby in a manger, but it, but it continues to His second coming when He returns as King. When He takes us up and we reign for Him. Our hope, the, the Hebrews 6 there says, our hope is an anchor. Why? Because Jesus Christ has gone before us. We're not walking an unwalked, an, uh, we're not walking, uh, blazing an unwalked trail. Christ goes before us. He goes before us. All throughout the Bible, Hebrews 7, 1 John 2, talks about Jesus is our intercessor. He's our advocate. He goes before us. That's what an intercessor does. That's what an advocate does. He goes ahead of you. He goes before you and speaks on your behalf. He pleads our case, literally is what the word there, advocate, means, our defense attorney. It's sure. If we're in Christ, we have a confident, sure hope. And the culmination of that is summed up in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And here's where it starts. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You see the confidence? I'll never leave you. Not I might, I'll think about it. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's why we can have hope. Because we'll never be alone in anything that we face. I will not go through anything alone. Some of you have walked through the death of spouses, through the death of loved ones, through, through the death of friends. You did not walk that alone. The Lord walked through that with you. You were never forsaken. You were never deserted. You were never forgotten. And this ought to fuel our hope. Why? Because we're forever connected to Christ. Literally, the Bible says we are in Christ. Nothing comes to you that first didn't go through Him. 
You're in Him. Not only that, He's in you. And no matter what, we are His. And no matter what, He is ours, if we are believers. We are forever linked to Christ. There's hope there. Look with me at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 13. Great passage here. I'm going to read them. It's easier for me to read through the Bible than, than up there in these longer passages. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 13. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, listen to this, has caused us, see the sovereignty there, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is not a dead hope. This is not a hope that was built in so, based on something that happened in the past that doesn't exist today. It is a living hope, a living, breathing hope to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Listen to verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see their future-orientedness of it? But it says literally, God protects you. You want to know security of salvation? No, ain't nobody stronger than God. And He protects you. You're secure. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. No matter what you go through now, it doesn't change the fact that you are His and He is yours. It doesn't change the fact that He is protecting you. It doesn't change the fact that he's holding you by the power that he possesses. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, those of us who have walked through those things will, will praise him in a different way because we've seen even more so than he is faithful. Some of you are walking through trial after trial after trial after trial. Your praise and your worship of Christ will be different because of those trials. He is proving himself to the world through you. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. And full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. You, you see the future orientedness of it? You can be confident today and through whatever you face because there is a future awaiting you. There is an inheritance awaiting you that will not, will not, will not perish, will not diminish in value, it will not change in value, it will never fade away. It's protected by God, and you yourself are protected by God. You can hope. You can hope in that. And it's a living hope. Look at Hebrews 6. Back to Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6.11. He says, the writer of Hebrews says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith. Patience. You know what it's going to take for us? Faith and patience and diligence and hope to inherit the promises. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Great passage on, the, on what our hope is. Now faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Literally, that word assurance there, it, it's the same word that you get title deed from it. When, when you pay your house off, if that day ever comes, it's, it's depressing, by the way, when you get that little statement that says, you only have about 19,000 more payments, and then you'll own your home. It's like, I'm not going to live long enough to own my home. But when you ever pay that home off, they send you the title. Guess what? When you hold that title in your hand, no matter what comes, guess what they can't do? They can't take away your house. You own it. Okay? Title deed. You own it. He's, that's the same word there for our faith. It's the title deed to things hoped for. It's sure. You know, it, nothing in our future Nothing in our, in our inheritance, in our future, none of that can be taken away by Satan. None of that can be taken away by trials. Because it's sure. It's because it's, it's, it's rooted in the work of Christ. It's rooted in our Father Himself. It, our hope is a realized fact. It is a realized fact. It is certain. It's guaranteed. The question becomes, does your hope look like that? When the world looks at me and how I live my life and how I talk about hope, do they get that sense from me and my life that, that, that I have that sense of certainty? In how I live my life, am I that certain? Or, or do I kind of have a backup plan over here that, hey, just in case this thing doesn't work out, I got this little thing over here to fall back on. It's, it's a certain fact. You know, what message am I sending to the world about Jesus Christ based on how I live? Am I that confident in Christ? Am I willing to give up myself and give up this life knowing that there's an eternity laid up in store for me? It takes great confident faith to do that. To give up my... I saw the other day, men live on average 76 years. Women, 81. I told Karen, see that? We're going to die about the same time. She's five years older than me. We're going to die about the same time. It'll all work out. So, she said, I hope so. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But these 76 years that God has given me, am I confident enough in my future in heaven that I'll give up these 76 years to make much of Him instead of making much of Chris? That's the question. That's what God has called us to, to give up this life to make much of Him during this life and trust that He's going to make much of us for the rest of eternity. That's the, that's the challenge for us. And I challenge us to live confidently knowing your future is secure. To worship unashamedly knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. To live boldly knowing that one day you will be rewarded. That's biblical hope. It's certainty. It's confident. It's sure. But we know that life comes, life assails us, trials, all these things. How do we keep hoping? That becomes the challenge for us. How do we keep hoping? Instead of having these high lows and low high highs and low lows and all of how do we keep hoping? Because again, to be certain, Satan wants to rob us of the blessing of our salvation. He cannot take away our salvation. 
but he seeks to rob us of the blessing of that salvation. He, he wants to rob us of the enjoyment of being saved. And, and sometimes, if we're honest, he's successful. And unfortunately, if we're honest all too many times, he's successful. And we end up living like the world. And we've lost our hope. So how do we keep hoping? Look with me at Romans 15.4. This is one of, my, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. If, if we're, I, I challenge you to memorize verses each week. This would be a great verse to memorize. It's simple. It, it's, it's, it's to the point. Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You know how we keep hoping? It's by staying in the Word. That's how we keep hoping. The only way we're going to keep hoping is by staying in the Word. God gave us the Word to fuel and to sustain our hope. When we neglect the word, we are literally starving our hope. We're starving our faith. The scriptures were given to us that we would hope in Christ. That we would be strengthened. That we would endure. All of that comes through the scriptures. I learned that I'm not alone. I learned that God is for me. I learned that God sent His Son in the form of a baby to grow up to die on a cross for me. I learned that I do not struggle alone. I learned that the struggles that I face and the sin that I sometimes fall into doesn't damage my salvation. All of that's from the Scriptures. And think about this. What does, when I go back here to the Old Testament, what does that do to my faith? It fuels it. Why? Because the same, God that was in, the same God that was sovereign over Abraham's insurmountable circumstances is the same God that's sovereign over my insurmountable circumstances. The same God that was sovereign over Joseph being sold into slavery and falsely accused of by Potiphar's wife and being thrown into jail and, and imprisoned wrongly is the same God that's sovereign over those circumstances in my life. And I read in Genesis 50, 50, verse 20, that says, Though you meant it for evil, I meant it for good. God's sovereign. And I only learned that by reading the Scriptures. The same God that was sovereign over Job when he was attacked by Satan and lost everything is the same God that's sovereign over your situation today. Same God that was faithful to David in the midst of great triumphs of faith, but also great sin, great forgiveness... Same God that's sovereign over your sin. Same God that's sovereign over your forgiveness. Same God. Same God that, that never left or forsook Israel in the midst of their sin and, and high highs and low lows and spiritual adultery and wondering and faithless, faithlessness and all that. Same God. Same God. Same God offered to them as the same God offered to us today. That fuels my hope. But I only know that because I know the Scriptures. And when Satan attacks me, guess what the Holy Spirit does? He brings up Scriptures inside of me that reminds me of who I am and whose I am and, and the power that's been availed to me, the hope that I have. And when I stumble, guess what the Scriptures do? They remind me to get up, to repent, and keep walking forward. And I need that. 
The Scriptures fuel our hope. Our hope was built to be fueled on the Scriptures. And think about this illustration. When you got engaged, ladies, I'm hopeful that the man gave you a ring. Otherwise, you would not have said yes. I'm hopeful. If, there's, if that's a different story than what you experienced, just keep it quiet for all of our sake. If you got away with getting a girl to say yes without getting a ring, I don't want to talk to you. But they, they gave you a ring. And you put that ring on, and guess what? That ring reminded you that one day there was going to be a wedding. Come what may, now again, this is ideally, obviously all illustrations break down, but ideally there was coming a wedding one day. And ladies, I bet there were times where you would just sit and stare at that ring and dream about your wedding. And in your mind, you played that wedding through in your head time and time and time again. That ring gave you hope. That ring assured you that one day there's going to be a marriage. And that ring reminded you on a daily basis that somebody chose you. Of all the women that he could have chosen, he chose you. The same thing can be said of the Scriptures. It reminds me that I'm His. It remi- they remind me that He chose me. They remind me that he, they sent, that he sent His Son for me. It fuels my hope. It reminds me that I'm not alone in my struggle, that I'm not the first person to to struggle with sin. It reminds me that my sin doesn't destroy my relationship with Him. It reminds me of all that and more. And I want to look real quick at at some of the truths that we get through Scripture regarding our hope. The the first one is this, God is the source of our hope. Look at Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Our, our hope, again, our hope is not, is not subjective. It's not just out there and never, never land. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in His Father who sent Him. Our hope is in God Himself. He can be relied upon. Nextly, our, our hope is defined by Scripture. Look at Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Look at Psalm 71.5. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. We don't just hope in anything. Our hope is defined by Scripture. It is in the person of Christ. Our, our hope will not disappoint. Look at Romans 5. Rome, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. A beautiful passage here of our hope and the fact that it will never disappoint us, come what may. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It won't disappoint. It won't disappoint. Though it's tested, though it's tried, though, though Satan assails it, though Satan wants us to doubt it, it will not disappoint. In the dark time of life, the Scriptures remind us of that. 
Satan wants you to think that, that, that you're separated from God and the scriptures remind you that contrary. If you're suffering today, that might mean that you're even more loved by God. Nextly, our hope is rooted in the gospel. Look at Colossians 1.5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Our hope is rooted in the gospel. It's not something we made up. It's not something that we came up with on our own. It's rooted in the gospel. We've seen it before. Romans 8, 31, 32. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's rooted in the gospel. I go back and I remind myself, God sent his son to die on a cross and pay the penalty for my sin. You think he's going to give up on me now? You think he's going to walk away on me now? That's what that scripture, Romans 8, 32 reminds us. God did the hard thing. Everything after that is easy. And our hope is rooted. It's part of the beauty of the gospel that in spite of how we're, we're assaulted and despite of, in spite of our sin, we are not separated from Christ. Our hope, our hope cannot be separated from the gospel. That's why I try to take all of our sermons back. Everything we're called to do is because of what God did for us in the gospel. Why, why do I seek to love Karen the way that I want to love? Because that's the way God loves me. Why do I try to raise our kids in a certain way and Karen as well? Why? Because that's what God has done for me in the gospel. Why, why do I preach the way I preach? Because I want the gospel to be center. I don't want me to be center. I don't want you to be center. I don't want man to be center. I want the gospel to be center. I want us to be motivated by the gospel, by what God did for us. But, but also, our hope is secure because of Christ. Look at Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, he's talking to Gentiles, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without God, there is no hope, period. But now in Christ, you see the change? But now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our hope is secure because of Christ. If you refuse to trust in Christ, there is no hope, period. Take the word out of your dictionary. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. But there is hope in that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And that's where it starts for you. Establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, turning from your sin, and by faith, trusting Christ alone. That's where hope begins. That's what that passage says. And, and our hope, it is a future-oriented thing. And it's really in three tenses, and you see them on your handout. Our salvation involves past, present, and future blessings. We are saved we were saved at some point in the past from the penalty of our sin. At the moment of salvation, at some point in the past, you were saved from the penalty of your sin. Done away with death, no longer an enemy. Because Jesus Christ conquered death, the penalty of your sin. Done away with. By faith, you are being saved presently from the power of sin. You don't have to submit your life to sin. You've been saved presently from the power of sin. 
one day, though, in the future, you see there, we will be saved in the future from the presence of sin. And that is why heaven is glorious. No more sin. No more effects of sin. Past, present, future. The gospel impacts it all. There is nothing that the gospel doesn't impact. Nothing. And no matter what comes before us, run to the gospel. No matter what you've done or what you've faced, run to the gospel. No matter what you will do or will face, run back to the gospel. Satan wants you to run away from God in your sin, and God is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Run to God with your sin. Run to God with your struggles. Run to God with your worries. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Cast it upon Him. I mean, it literally, Emmanuel, God is with us. The very thing that the whole Old Testament looked forward to, that the New Testament was looking at, is what we're looking back at. God is with us. And that fuels our hope. He's with us. But we learn that through the Word. We're reminded of that through the Word. And that's its very purpose. It keeps our hope going. It fuels our hope. It's the Word. It reminds us time and time again of who we are, of whose we are, of what's in store for us, of what's been given to us. Make much of this Word, and I promise you, your hope will become secure. Your hope will become grounded. It will be firm foundation to build your life on. The hope that's found in the Scriptures. But, but there's, more, there's more to this hope than just what we see. And lastly, I want us to look at our ultimate hope. Because it doesn't end here. Ultimately, our hope launches us into the future. It is a future-oriented thing. Our hope is a future-oriented thing. It is living with an eye to the future. I mean, have you ever felt like in your life, have you ever felt like things didn't work out the way they should? Have you ever wondered, why? if I'm loved by God, if I'm dot, 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 why am I going through this? Many of us have felt, all of us, if we're honest, have felt like that way at times. And you're in good company because you know what? When I read the scriptures, I realize that there is a ton of men and women who felt that same way, who struggled with that same thing. God, where are you? God, why am I going through this? Why am I struggling with this? Guess what? He was right there with them time and time and time again. Look at Hebrews 11. Go back to Hebrews. I told you after today, you're going to know where these books are in the Bible. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 17. Listen to this. It talks about these great men and women of faith. And then in verse 13, And these died in faith, without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared them, for He has prepared a city for them. What, what country were they looking for? Not on this earth. 
Why did they give up everything on this earth to glorify God? Because they knew that God had a better country waiting for them. Look, look at verses 24 through 26. By, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, listen to this, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Future-oriented. He could have eaten it up. He could have enjoyed it. He could have avoided the ill treatment. He could have avoided all that stuff and just lived lavishly here on this earth. Why did Moses choose not to do that? Because he was looking for his reward in heaven. He was confident that the reward is future-oriented. Look at verses 35 through 40. This, these verses are astounding to me. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. They could have recanted and lived. Instead, they said, you know what? I'm going to trust in a better resurrection. I'll die because one day I'm going to live anyway. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. These are God's people, by the way. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. He's saying, hey, you can live it up here, or you can die here and live it up for all eternity. These men and women chose to die here to live for eternity. And our ultimate hope, what were they looking for? The return of Christ. That is why Christ has to come back. Because at that point, God will be deemed a promise keeper. They did not receive what they were promised. When Christ returns, ding, 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 you get your inheritance. You get everything that was promised you at His return. Everything will make sense and be worth it when our King returns for us. Everything. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. They have, they have verses 12 through 19 for the sake of time. We're not going to read all those. I'm just going to read one quick verse here. And that he says, and if he says, then those who, verse 18, then all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. He's saying, if the resurrection is not going to happen, you're wasting your time. But the reality is, it is going to happen. Even, even our, even our, even our, Mourning is changed by our hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4, this is one of the, it came to me yesterday. They don't have it on the back there, but listen, it's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He says, you got a loved one who's went ahead of you? Don't worry. They're getting theirs at the resurrection. Don't worry. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring in with Him all those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. This is not the end. We will not get the best that he has in store for us here. It's coming though. And it's a sure future. It's a promised, guaranteed future. And our hope, so our hope, here's the point. Our hope walks us through the present by reminding us of our future. This word walks us through our present trials, reminding us that one day we will not battle this way any longer. That's hope. It keeps us fighting. It keeps us pressing on. It keeps us fueled. It keeps us secured. You know, it, it literally, literally what the Bible presents, it's like we are like children who have been, a, who live in a foreign country and have been adopted by somebody in another country. We've been given the adoption papers, they're signed, they're sealed, they're in our hands, and we are flying across the ocean to our adoptive parents. That's literally the picture Scripture gives of us today. Our, our adoption is secure, it's in our hands, it's guaranteed, they've given us the papers, and we're in air flying. We're flying home to meet the one who has adopted us. That's the picture. That's the picture. And that future, those parents that have adopted that little boy or that little girl that are waiting at the airport to receive him, the fact that their love adopted this child changes everything about that flight, does it not? Everything about that flight. We have been adopted, but we have not received. You can look at Romans 8. We have not received fully the blessings of that adoption. Why? Because this isn't our home. And the fact that God sent His Son to die on a cross, to live and die on a cross, and be raised again, and to reign in heaven, on, to intercede for us, He says, hey, you hope in that, and you walk through whatever you walk through to my glory. But you hope in that because you know what? Your adoption papers, you have them. I'm, you're, you're mine. And nothing that happens on this side of eternity is going to impact that. Look, look lastly at Titus 2.13. Looking, listen to this, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our hope will be fulfilled at the return of Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. And the Bible in Matthew 25, 24 and 25 paint many pictures of people who are eagerly waiting. And I pray that we would hope. I pray that our hope would not grow wane as we wait. And that's really the picture of this candle. Might we be like this candle, might our light burn bright until our Savior returns? And might we build our whole life and hope around Jesus Christ and making much of Jesus Christ, hoping confidently that one day He's going to return? Christ's birth is in a historical fact. Death is a historical fact. His return is promised in Scripture's Wait confidently for that day. But live worshipfully until that day. 
our inheritance ought to change the way that we live every day. The hope that we have in Christ ought to be more than a 25-day experience during December. And I pray that we would hope big enough. That we would not just hope in the things of this world, that we would hope in our Savior who is one day coming back for us. 